It's 12.09, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so glad to have you with us. All right, looks like we are in the eye of yet another winter storm. We will continue to keep you updated. Uh, the reports are it should be starting now relatively soon, and I think it's clearly going to be impacting our listening area. This one sounds like there's going to be some more snow than we got over the last uh, one, which occurred, what, like Friday night into Saturday. And that, that was enough to make things messy. It did, of course... Make a ton of money for the city of Milwaukee. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. We are live streaming on Facebook. You can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Watch the first couple segments of the program and participate in that fashion as well. In addition, you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, and I try to give you an update on some of the things that we talk about or plan to talk about on today's show. Let us get started. The the big news, I guess, is the announcement, uh, the, the story broken by our very own Greg Matzik, that Miller... The Miller is out. Miller Coors is out. American Family is in. Here is the deal. In the mid-1990s, Miller Brewing stepped up and agreed to obtain the pay for the naming rights to the then new stadium. And if you were not around here in the mid-1990s, again, I, I can't tell you what it was like at that time. The battle to get Miller Park built was just incredible, and it all came down to October 6th of 1995, when in the middle of the night, you know, uh, you had State Senator George Petak who changed his vote, and that allowed it to go through, and you had the public financing, but it was an incredibly difficult time. Miller Brewing stepped up, and they bought the naming rights. They paid approximately 40 million bucks. It turned out to be like two, a little bit over $2 million per year for the naming rights. That contract, that deal, expires, I believe, what, after next year, after the 2020 season. So what's happening is the the naming rights are back up for sale. Now, I'm looking at a story in the Business Journal from late October. And and the the tone of the story, well, the headline is, post-playoffs, Brewers and Miller Coors resume stadium naming right talks. And so it's very clear from the tone of this story, and they're quoting the general manager from Miller Coors, that, that Miller Coors, I think, in, intended to renew the, the naming rights. They're talking about how, you know, we've had, you know, a great relationship, et cetera, et cetera, and it's been a wonderful sort of partnership, and especially with the heightened profile that the Brewers have because they, they did so well last year and this commitment, we think that the Brewers are going to continue to do well. Um, you know, it, it's been very, very positive for us, that would be Miller Coors, to do that. At the same time, you know, they, they did say, well, we'll have to look at what we've been getting out of it. It's a one-time deal. We'll look at how it performed for us over 18 years. And like I say, $40 million is a lot of money for naming rights over the duration. But given what some places are able to get for naming rights, it, it sounds like a pretty good deal. What I am being told, and maybe we'll get some insight from the brewers, at this press conference, it's scheduled to be held at 2 o'clock, is that American Family came in and, and kind of blew everybody away. And that American Family just made a substantial financial offer that other places, like, for example, Miller Coors, either wasn't able or wasn't willing to, to match. And so we don't know whether it's going to be AmFam Field or American Family Stadium. Don't, don't know any of that. But, but American Family has come in. They've stepped up to the plate in a big way. This is, of course, the, the second major 
major naming rights deal that American Family has put together in the Milwaukee area. I mean, keep in mind, it's no longer the Marcus Amphitheater at Summerfest. Remember, it used to always be the Marcus Amphitheater. Now it's the American Family Amphitheater at at Summerfest, and it's been that way for a couple years. American Family has become, I, I think, probably Summerfest's number one partner as far as you know financing improvements and things like that. So American Family, big into naming rights, and they've been spending a lot of money in the Milwaukee community, apparently outbidding Miller Coors. Now, there's lots of questions that are out there. You know, what does this mean for the future moving forward if it's not going to be Miller Park anymore? Um, and various things are up for sale for the highest bidder. What if Budweiser, Mary, what if, you know, Anheuser-Busch decides, you know, we would really like to be the brand of beer choice, you know, at American Family Field or whatever they're going to call it. Here, we're going to come in and we're going to put a huge bid. I, I'm just saying it appears that everything is, in fact, on the table. And, and by the way, I don't see any bad guys. I don't see any good guys in this. It is a business decision. Clearly, it is in the brewer's interest to do to find a partner who's willing to pay the the most money. They're, they're, they're in a business. They want to get the best deal possible. Miller Coors, it's, it's kind of a difficult time for the beer industry. So I'm sure Miller Coors is assessing this, saying, okay, moving forward, how much money do we want to spend, and how is that money best spent? So, I mean, I don't think there's any good guys here. There's no bad guys here. It's just It's just a business deal. But it has been Miller Park since its inception. Um, and that's what I think is the interesting starting point here, which is, will it always be Miller Park? Now, I understand that somebody's going to come in and technically it's going to be a different name. Uh, it used to always be the Marcus Amphitheater at Summerfest. Well, um, okay, well, all right, Did is it now is it now the American Family Amphitheater? And I'm not talking about what the name says. I'm not talking about what the official stuff says. I'm talking about what people refer to this as. Is it the Marcus? Is it the American Family? Will Miller Park always be Miller Park? Or are people going to accept and start referring to it as AmFam Field or what, whatever, American Family Stadium, or whatever name they decide? Is the public, are you going to accept the name and by accept i mean start referring to it under what the new name is going to be or is it always going to be miller park 414-799-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line all right how will this again be received and by that i mean will people accept it will you say hey i'm going to run out to amfam field to catch the game this afternoon or i've got two tickets this weekend to go to miller park no i'm not going to miller park i've got two tickets to go to, um, I don't know, American Family Stadium to see the game. Is the public going to accept it in that sense? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. And again, quick reminder, we are also live streaming Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can participate in that fashion as well. If you're on the line, hold on. Back with your calls in just a minute. Will the general public accept this name change? We discuss in a moment. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, the reports are at 2 o'clock this afternoon. The Brewers are going to announce a, a new naming rights deal. The deal with Miller Park expires after next season, and apparently it is then going to become 
American Family is going to be the, the new sponsor. So it's no longer going to be Miller Park. It's going to be something related to American Family. We don't know exactly what that's going to be. Um, how accepting is the general public going to be of that? Will it be always Miller Park? I, I will tell you, for me, um, the, the Bradley Center is always the, the Bradley Center. That, that's just kind of the, the reality of that. The uh, the Milwaukee Arena, I understand they've gone through all sorts of iterations, and now it's Panther Arena. I, I mean, I, I just grew up going to the Milwaukee Arena, and I always refer to it as the arena. How how tough is this going to be? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Wayne in Milwaukee. Wayne, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hey, I agree. Uh, the arena, uh, the Marcus Amphitheater is still where I go, and uh, Miller Park will be what I refer to. Unless you tear it down and right. build a new building, you're going to carry the, uh, the old name, especially for as long as they've been around. That's yeah. what people are going to refer to. Uh, just that's what I think. Well, you know, I mean, one of the other things is the the the, the fact that Miller Park clo- so closely corresponded. M- Milwaukee's a beer city, you know. I mean, Milwaukee's the beer city. You've got Miller Brewing that's you know in the immediate vicinity. You know, they're it's in close proximity. You've got what's the name of the team? It's the Brewers. You know, it just I, I think you put all that together and you've got this almost like merged corporate identity. And again, I don't fault the Brewers. I mean, it's 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 a business. If you can get more dough going with American Family, that's great. But I think it's going to be a while before the public is going to accept this. I, you're right. Yeah. No. No. Thanks for calling. Again, it, it's not. I, 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 this is not a critic. This is not a. It is not a criticism. I mean, it, it's a business sort of decision. And what I'm being told is American Family really stepped up to the plate and made an offer that Miller just kind of blew everybody away. And, and that's great. And I think American Family, by the way, is a great company. I'm thrilled that they're involved with their partnership at Summerfest. I think the the new amphitheater, once they get it all completed, is going to be absolutely spectacular. And I think, you know, American Family is a great corporate citizen, and we're lucky to have them in Wisconsin. So it's not an indictment of American Family. But this is one just because of the relationship of Miller to the Milwaukee Brewers. It's 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 kind of tough, I think. Scott in Elm Grove. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Thanks Hi, for taking my call. Sure. You know, when I first heard this earlier today, I could not believe it. I, uh, you know, you kind of uh, outlined some of the some of the same things I was going to say. This is the team is called the Brewers. <laughs> the team's not the insurance agent. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't get it. And, and when I heard it, I thought, no, not they can't do this. Yeah. I just, I could not, I can't believe it. I, and I get, I get how the business world works and how you can, you know, try to leverage and get the best relationships and, and moving forward. But holy cow, this is. Not, right. not, not for it at all. Well, I, I mean, yeah, it's, okay, and, and it's a different. Remember, remember last year there was the huge controversy that you you went for the, the racing sausages, you know, changed yeah. changed hands. Yes. Um, that one, I didn't get the idea that that was a particularly. I, I think that one was sort of more of a hostile sort of thing. I don't know if this is going to be the case, but you know, now I mean, you know, if I mean, people still come out and they still support the racing sausages, regardless of whether it's Johnsonville or or Clements, but at the same time, it, it's really, it's still not the same, is it? Well, and I think, too, I mean, think about what our our city is built on, Laverne and Shirley, which was a brewery. I mean, every, you know, Blatt, Schlitz, all of the other breweries 
I don't know. I, yeah. Maybe it's change. Maybe as human beings, <laughs> we don't like change. I don't know what to say, but I, 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 hear it and I just think you got to be kidding me. And, and first of all, I'm not a beer drinker. Right. I, I don't, it doesn't even matter to me. But I'd much rather see him be in a called Miller Park. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, th- I mean, so, I mean, I seriously, I mean, I seriously wonder. Now, the early reports that were out there was, you know, Miller is going to continue. Miller Coors Brewing is going to continue its relationship with the brewers. I, I will tell you, and I mean, I, I just throw this out there. I mean, I wonder if somebody's sitting in St. Louis and you, you've got, you know, somebody at Anheuser Busch thinking, hey, maybe this is this opportunity. You know, maybe we can come in and maybe we can throw a, a, a ton of money at. You know, at at the brewers, and you know, maybe we we can figure out a way to get the exclusive licensing rights, so they sell Anheuser Busch products. I I don't know. Here's a bunch of text, Jeff. I still call it the Mecca, the first star building, the Sears Tower, Miller Park, etc. Et I guess I'm uh, I guess I'm kind of stuck in the past. Uh, Autumn from Fond du Lac says, "I just wish American Family Insurance would lower my rates." Um, here's another one. Will says, "The true fans of baseball won't care what the stadium is called." Naming rights generate revenue. Why wouldn't you want this? Well, I agree. I don't. I don't say I don't. I, personally, I mean, I don't. I don't want it. I accept it one way or the other. I am a little bit surprised by this, especially given the fact that my sense was that Miller was close to a new agreement with the Brewers as of last fall, and obviously some dynamics changed. Barry in Milwaukee. Barry, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Thanks. Um, you know. Like we've been saying, it was it kind of went hand in hand. I mean, it's literally to call it a phrase, a stone's throw from the ballpark to where the Miller Brewery is right now. So that kind of went hand in hand, and the fact that you know they're one of the three original breweries in Milwaukee. But when you take a look across Major League Baseball as a whole, this is not, and we are not the first uh, stadium to undergo a name change once it was established sure. as another name change. So sure, it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing my thought is. I, I kind of like, uh, you kind of alluded to it, like Am Sam Park. I mean, that's kind of cute, and I would like that, but my thought and concern about that would be is outside of the state of Wisconsin, where American Family Insurance is obviously based, right. if someone on the West Coast, when they hear Am Sam Park, are they going to know what that really is right. standing for and stuff like that? But overall, yeah, I think it's a great uh, uh, thing by the Brewers. It's, it's keeping you know things going, and, and it's all part of what you said. It's all part of business, daily business. Well, right. I mean, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, I guess I. I mean, I look. I, I'm. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know I'm a big traditionalist. I, I am, and so it's one of those things. I, I, I know that there are a lot of people. Very close friend of mine. You know, when they first built Miller Park. He he just he was very upset. Well, I miss County Stadium, and I understand there's some people who are perhaps nostalgic for County Stadium. But all right, go to a baseball game, <laughs> go to a baseball game in April or early May, or go to a baseball game when you know you've got a rainstorm outside. And just remember the old County Stadium days. So I mean, I think it, it, it is one of these things that change change happens to i mean there there's no question about it and some of the change takes a little bit of time you know getting getting used to let's talk to is it baja in milwaukee hey how you doing hi what do you think well i think it's it's you know change is hard um but it's like when they first built the bradley center i mean to us i mean the mecca is always going to be home no matter what that name stands out i mean change is always going to be very hard same thing. It took me forever to get used to, you know, the new stadium called Miller Park. Right. Because County Stadium is always going to be the name for me because my father used to take me there in the early, you know, early 80s. 
So, I mean, it's, it's different. Um, I mean, like I said, the same thing with the Pfizer Forum. I mean, it took us a while to get used to that, and right. now we're calling that home. Yeah. Now, the only difference is Fiserv is a new building, so it's not like it's been anything else. But, yeah, I, but I, right, but I get it. Yeah. The naming thing is, is what catches to people, you know. It's still a home to, yeah. to our own sports team, but it's a name that, that we have to try to absorb, you know, to make it really home. Oh, yeah. Now, th- thanks for calling. I mean, and I, I have to tell you, one of the other callers made the point about how this happens all the time, and it does. You, you buy naming rights at a facility for a finite period of time, and then it changes over. And there's all sorts of stadiums who, I mean, I, the one I remember in, in Phoenix is for, the, I don't know what it is now, but it was the University of Phoenix Stadium for forever. Now it's something different. Then I'll hear these things, I go, where is that? And then it's just it's because there's a different naming rights deal. So this type of thing happens all the time. We'll get more details on what it's ultimately you know going to be called. Um, and you know, and again, I credit to Miller Coors for stepping up years and years ago. Miller Brewing for stepping up years and years ago and, and being the initial sponsor. I, I think they deserve credit for that. But I mean, things do change. It, it's no like it's not unlike well people who, for example. You know, when, when the brewers first sold their sweet deals, you know, and they're, the deals on the sweets, I think, are like 10 years. And there's some people that renewed and there's other people who said, OK, well, it, it's time we're going to make investments in other types of things. So I, I don't fault it. It is going to be a bit of a culture shock, though, The when we first have to say if we're going to say, oh, it's American Family Stadium or AmFam Field or whatever it's going to be. I admit it's going to be a little bit of culture shock. 1220 HF Wagner, WTMJ. <laughs> It's 1238, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Can you believe it? Baseball season right around the corner. It all starts this weekend at Brewers on Deck at the Wisconsin Center in downtown Milwaukee. WTMJ and ESPN Wisconsin will be broadcasting live this Sunday from the annual Fan Fest. Hear from your favorite players, coaches, and, of course, Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre. The event is sold out, so if you don't have tickets, let WTMJ be your home for Brewers on Deck, sponsored by Century Foods. Okay, now that's example. I mean, now... Now, of course, it's the Wisconsin Center in downtown for the longest time. Remember, it was the Midwest Airlines Center or Midwest Express Center, and it took me a little while to get used to that, but ultimately I was able to do it. My guess is it'll be the same thing with Miller Park, although there is this synergy. All right, I, I know that there are people in the media who hate the term fake news, a- and I-, I understand why that is. But my response a lot of times is if you hate if you hate the term fake news, and this would be to people in the media, maybe what you need to do is you need to avoid promulgating fake news because when you get it wrong, all right, especially in a spectacular fashion, well, it, it plays into, you know, all those images and all the claims that people make. And you had one of these examples late last week, the story involving the kids from the high school who were attending the march of of march for life um these are kids from a catholic school uh called in covington kentucky and they're at the march for life now perhaps you saw the the first video and and the story it's a picture of a young man wearing a a make america great hat in a confrontation with a, a native american and the, the spin on this was, here you have the, this high school kid who's confronting this guy who happened to be a, 
you know, Vietnam veteran, and the, the assumption was, oh, here are the, these kids are saying all sorts of racist things, et cetera, et cetera. The reporting was sloppy. It was malicious. It was, you know, agenda-driven. And it was like, oh, here, here you have the, these hateful high school kids who are picking on this Native American. And you had all these Hollywood celebrities that jumped on this bandwagon. You had the New York Times that was writing stories about this. You had the Washington Post that was writing stories about this. You had this outrage. The high school is closed today because of death threats that were directed at the kids. Because here are these racist kids that are making all these stories and they're confronting these Native Americans and these are these Trump supporters and how awful it is and by the way they were at a March for Life rally how terrible they all are well as it turns out and I love the way that like some of the mainstream media try to walk back this story for example the, the Washington Post which was all over this an example of these privileged white kids uh, now what they say is viral standoff between a tribal elder and a high schooler is more complicated than it first seemed. Another story, I'm looking at a headline, USA Today. Fuller video casts new light on Covington Catholic students' encounter with Native American elder. Huh. New York Times, which was all over this story, calling for at least one of the reporters, was sending out on Twitter the fact that she thought these kids... They should all be expelled and that the chaperones should be fired to the extent they were teachers. Now, the New York Times fuller picture emerges a viral video of Native American man and Catholic students. Here's apparently what really happened. This is at the Lincoln Memorial. And by the way, if you ever if you ever get a chance to go to Washington, D.C., you got to go to the Lincoln Memorial. I, I think it's just at it's absolutely breath, breathtaking. And then as you stand and you look at the Lincoln Memorial, there's a path that you go down, follow to your right. It leads you to the Vietnam Veterans Wall. It, it's just amazing. So anyhow, you, you have these high school kids that are in town to participate in the March for Life. They are at the Lincoln Memorial, and they are waiting to be picked up by their bus. So they're, they're in this group. There are apparently a group of racist black people, um, part of this, what, what do they call it, the, the black Hebrews or the black Israelites or whatever. And and this is a, well, this, the, the Southern Poverty Law Center describes this particular group as a hate group because of their the way they interact with people who are Jewish and with white people, et cetera, et cetera. So Southern Poverty Law con- considers this group to be a hate group. All right. So anyhow, so you've got the, these group of these kids, white kids predominantly. Some are wearing Make America Great hats or whatever, and they're 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 waiting for the bus to pick them up. And what happens is you have these these protesters from again this this radical black group who are apparently screaming all sorts of things, you know, at these kids. They're calling them racists and bigots and white crackers and incest kids and all these these things. So they're they're yelling things and apparently there's one or two kids that are, are black. They're yelling at them particularly. So you've got this this group from the black Hebrew Israelite movement and they're screaming terrible, terrible things at these kids who are apparently doing nothing. They're minding their own business. But they're starting to get a little bit 
angry because they're getting yelled at by these crazies. So what happens is a couple of the kids go to their advisors, you know, their chaperones, and they say, here, you know, we, we don't have to take this. How about we start to do some of our school chants? You know, in in response. And so they do some of their, like, school spirit chants. Nobody is apparently yelling, build a wall or anything like that. They're they're just not. So they're, like, doing these chants, but it's in response to the terrible things that are being screamed at them. Well, into this mix comes a couple of these members of this American Indian group who are there there for their, their own... They're there for their own sort of protest. So one of the guys from the Native American movement, he's he's beating his drum and he, you know, walks up and he kind of gets into the the middle uh, of this. And he walks in and he's beating his drum. And the one kid that got all the attention, he's not cursing at the man. He's not yelling at the man. Apparently, he's standing there silently while the guy is like banging his drum. Now, the way this was portrayed is, you know, these awful, you know, white high school kids from Covington, Kentucky, who were coming and screaming all these racial, you know, slurs and things like that. Well, it turns out to be largely, if not entirely, untrue. Rather, these kids were the victims. They're, you know, just waiting for this bus when you have all these people that start, like, screaming at them. And now, you know, they're denounced. They're called. There's calls for them to be expelled, etc. Some people are starting to walk this back. As I said, the mainstream media, well, maybe this is a little bit more complicated than it seems. You know, interestingly, there's an editorial in the Chicago Tribune, and it's brief, and I want to share it with you. Then we'll open up the phone lines and get your reaction. Here, here's what the Chicago Tribune editorial says. Um, in an age of instant communication, quick responses usually take precedent, precedence over careful deliberation. Um, hot takes are valued. Cold takes are not a thing. But truth can be a casualty when social media hordes leap to vent anger at bits of information that look offensive. All this became apparent not for the first time when a video went viral showing a face-to-face encounter at the Lincoln Memorial between a 64-year-old Native American veteran and a high school boy wearing a Make America Great Again hat. The impression left by the clip was an arrogant white teenager harassing a person of color for the amusement of his rowdy classmates. The Native American man, Nathan Phillips, told reporters he felt threatened by the crowd of teenagers. Well, the storm of outrage that followed was something to behold, etc., etc. But the reaction turns out to be a cautionary tale about jumping to conclusions. Other videos of the gathering showed the students being subjected to nasty slurs by black protesters known as the Hebrew Israelites. The teens eventually countered with chants. It was Phillips, the Native American guy, who strode up close to the boy in the Make America Great hat, singing and beating a a drum. Nobody says they heard footage of somebody saying, uh, build a wall. The kid has gotten death threats, etc., etc., as a remark, as as a result of this. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There's a lot of cautionary tales about this, but I think one of the things that you you see and one of the takeaways is we have people in this country who are so filled with rage that they they want to believe whatever they want to believe and they want to assume whatever they want to assume and the truth be damned. These kids got a very, very bad rap. This story was unfair. 
And I guess it's one thing about social media. You know, you, you post a little clip up there, and I understand. The guy sitting in his underwear in mom's basement, He's he can react however he wants. But it's another thing when the Washington Post and USA Today and New York Times, and they decide to all jump on board without taking the time to say, all right, what what really happened here? And for people who say, well, you shouldn't pick on the media for fake news, well, this is the type of thing that, that this is the type of thing why people say it's kind of fake news. These kids were ripped. It seems to be incredibly unfair. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1249. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It is just amazing to me how you get these narratives. You've got these group of of high school kids who are there for the March for Life. They are accosted by a group of black racists. They are called every name in the book. They are subjected to racist and homosexual slurs. And finally, they respond by doing school spirit chants, at which point in time you have, again, you've got got Native American protesters that are there, and somebody comes up banging a a drum. There's... And this is the, these kids are the bad guys in this, and it's all oh, they're acting in a disrespectful fashion and that type of stuff. These kids were the victims, and and of course that's not the, the coverage. And you wonder whether some of these media outlets are now saying, well, now that we've seen all the footage, maybe it's more complicated than it originally seemed. Well, well, no kidding. Why don't you get it right in the first place, Jeff in Brookfield? Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? Um, well. This happens all the time in the area of 24-7 news, and, and this is referred to as uh, contempt prior to investigation. Yeah. That's, it's real simple. And, and we, we, people do this all the time. We're, we're all subject to it. We all do it. And uh, unfortunately, the news people, news people in the media is probably the biggest culprit. Well, it, well, right, and, and and it kind of like plays into that that whole theme that was out there, and, and you have somebody that that sees that that one little clip and says, "Oh, well, this is you know they're treating him in a disrespectful fashion." You know, in this case, for example, so you've got the the group of the black racists who are screaming at the kids, then you've got the the guy from the the, the American Indian protester who comes up and gets in the face of of the kid, and he's beating the drum. That the kid really doesn't say anything to him. Um, but but he stands there and so okay this is you know they're now they're just disrespecting you know the 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 Native American guy when it doesn't appear that there, there's really any truth to this at all and it's the kids that are kind of the victims of this whole thing but yeah you're right that's that's not where the story goes that's right and yeah. and when I saw the the video clip the initial video clip I thought what is this kid doing and where are the chaperones right. And now, I mean, in, a, in the kid, for his part, he's saying, you know, look, I'm just, I, I mean, I, I didn't say anything. Yeah, I'm, I'm staring at this guy who's, you know, now come up and he's kind of confronted me. You know, we're just waiting for the darn bus. 414 yeah. Joe in Jackson. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? Good. I, I have a, a, a serious problem with a lot of how all this is being um, turned now. I mean, I... I think that the chaperones are really getting away with murder here and i do actually have a problem with the new narrative that is coming out um i just think that that it, it i saw the whole video and my opinion from the, the clip has not changed really 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I really. I, you, when this young man, when the when the Native American guy was was uh, when Phillips was walking towards the guy, he explained why he was trying. He was trying to get out of there. He took one step, they moved back. He took another step, he moved back. Back. They thought he thought that they were clearing away, and he, they, they weren't. I mean, this young man stood up in front of him and smugly smiled in his face. Well, how do you know it was smugly smile? I mean, keep oh, in mind the kid, the kid, the kid has all these people who are now I, screaming at him. I think, I think if you're in a bar or if you're anywhere where there's a person that stands up in front of you, I think you know the difference between a smug smile and a smile like, "Hey, I'm just happy." That's not what that was. It was a very smug smile. And, and even if that's not the opinion, the, the direction that the narrative is going now disturbs me the most because it's putting an emphasis on how the adult was supposed to act and how this the child the, the and, and excuse me for saying this but it seems as though it's because it's this white male who's being protected now by the right because everybody who's coming out with this new narrative is from the right well, and well, well i know i think it's most people who've watched the the other four videos of this who realize uh, how i uh, see you know, i think i see joe i mean i look i I, I guess, see, that this is part of the problem. People who see that little clip, oh, this was terrible. Most, if you watch the entire, the other four videos, you recognize that, you know, it, it wasn't these kids that were the instigators of of the problem. And they're in the middle of this thing, and you've got people screaming terrible things at them, and you've got the guy from the Native American group who walks up to him like like banging banging on a drum to, to get in, in the middle of this. The kid didn't say anything. None of, nobody, by the way, supports that the guy's narrative was, Phillips' narrative was, people were screaming, build a wall. That's not supported by any of the videos that, that are, are out there. Now, did he hear something that just didn't get picked up? I mean, I, I don't exactly know. But, I mean, look, here here's, I mean, I do think that these kids were certainly were not the instigators. And you have a lot of people on the left who aren't sent, aren't sympathetic to them because they're there for the march for life. All right. So, you know, here they're, they're from a Catholic school. They don't believe in abortion. They're there for the march for life. And so pretty much anything that goes with regard to them. And I just, I, you know, I don't see that. And I think if you watch most of the videos, most people don't see that. And that's why I think the New York Times and the Washington Post and everybody recognizes this is perhaps more complicated. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, our, our fans are already getting into the uh, the spirit here. Here's a text. Starting in 2021, a grand slam hit by the Brewers at home should be called an Am-Fam Slam. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. See, there you go. All right, we're, we're, we're working on this. All right, we'll continue to keep you updated on the weather conditions. It looks like this is going to be a nasty storm for the, the duration, the, the time that it lasts. All right, I have an update on something we talked about last week. Political correctness run amok. For th- this involves the Hurley Midgets. Now, if you haven't been following this story, Hurley, um, which plays in, interestingly enough, if we want to talk about political correctness run amok, Hurley, the team plays in the Indian Head Conference. There are, interestingly, two teams that have the, the nickname the Midgets. One is Hurley, the Hurley Midgets, and the other is, what is it, Butternut? I think that's it. And they're, and, and they're called the Midgets. Now, the Butternut nickname comes from a, a very, very successful wrestler who came from that school district, and, and his nickname was Midget, and so the, the nickname's after him. The Hurley Midgets have been the Midgets since as long as anybody can remember, like the 30s or 40s or whatever, they, they think the nickname traces back to when 
the the team made the state basketball tournament and like a radio broadcaster or something noticing that the kids were a, a lot smaller than the, some of the players they were going up against but yet were very very successful said you know started calling them midgets and the name stuck and so they've been the hurley midgets for decades and decades and decades and decades well of course this has been somewhat controversial because you've got the politically correct and the perpetually offended that are out there going oh my gosh this is this is just terrible that you know we would be called the midgets and just like you had some people for example who agitated with native american nicknames oh my goodness they were the mcguanago indians how how terrible this is there were some people who said oh this is going to be incredibly offensive and they were starting to pressure the school board to to change the nickname my understanding is uh, there's not much sentiment up in Hurley to change the, the nickname, but there are, you know, people both inside the school district and a lot of ones outside the school district who get offended about a lot of stuff. So we, we've talked about this in the program twice, as recently as last week. And the, the, the catalyst last week was the school board had voted to put this up on a referendum. April 2nd, there's going to be a statewide election uh, for state Supreme Court justice, but you're going to have all sorts of nonpartisan races there on the ballot. And Hurley was going to have what I believe was a binding referendum on the whole question of do we drop the nickname uh, Midgets or not? And we talked about it last week, and my prediction was, well, the voters overwhelmingly are going to decide not to drop it. Well, never mind. Here's the story from just it's just breaking in the last couple hours. The school board has said, forget about forget about a referendum. We don't care what the voters think. We are going to just go ahead and we're going to drop the midgets mascot. Midgets are gone. We've decided that, you know, this would be this would be too divisive. And, you know, we we think that it's you know, that this isn't inclusive we're concerned we're sending the wrong message. We don't want to have a vote because we think that the discussion about this would be so contentious that it would further divide the community. So we're just going to say we're going to do away with this. Hmm. Now, that's interesting because school board members are, of course, elected. And so what one school board does, another school board can undo. So now this is in the hands of, of Hurley, and Hurley gets the Hurley voters get to decide. You know, are are they going to go along with this, or are they going to, I don't know, start recall petitions or vote people out the next time they they come up for election? Because again, remember there was this backlash when we had the Native American rules, and you had the state superintendent of schools, Tony Evers, and others saying, "Oh, we got to get rid of these Native American nicknames." And, and ultimately, for example, the people in Maguanago fought back, and they ended up winning that that fight, proving you can fight city hall from time to time. Be interesting to see if they do that in Hurley. But as an update on this story, Hurley midgets, uh, no more. Apparently, at the end of either this school year or next school year, they're going to drop that, and they don't know what they're going to call them instead. As far as I can tell, Butternut, the other team that's in that conference, they're going to continue to be the midgets. But I guess I guess maybe they're going to be under fire next. But that is the update to the story. When we come back, want to talk about what happened to people who live in the city of Milwaukee over the weekend and what will presumably happen to them, well, probably in the next few hours. Was it public safety or was it uh a legal shakedown. We discuss. Stick around. It's 114. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, iPhone users. WTMJ has a new and improved app. It's easier to find news stories, plus get notifications on breaking news and feature stories. You can also listen live or check out show podcasts. Go to the App Store on your phone to download now. Yeah, and that's, you know, when when you're at the app, just, you know, go to the podcast page. You can sign up. You can subscribe to our podcast. I know lots and lots of people listen to the podcast of this show, and I very much appreciate it. All right. There is there is a balancing. When it snows, you got to get the streets cleared. I, I And, I mean, everybody understands that. And, and you can't you you can't allow somebody to park in a fashion that's illegally blocks other cars or makes it impossible to get the, the snow plows through you 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 can't do that otherwise you know what happens is especially in Wisconsin winter you have a snowfall and then 3 weeks later if it gets cold the snow is still there we have had a a relatively I think mild winter so far. And last Friday night, we got our, our first real, but I would say significant snowfall, depending on where you were. It was anywhere from three to four to five to six or seven inches. Now, of course, there's a forecast of, of another bunch of snow on top of it. But I will say this, as somebody who was out and about Friday night, it was, um, it was, it was tricky. I mean, the, the roads were not great. And this comes from the perspective of somebody who thinks that we do a really good job with snow collectively around here. When I was out driving around Saturday morning, Gru, were you out and about in your car on Saturday morning? You were not really. Well, you didn't miss anything. It was it was crummy. I mean, I, I was running errands, and I was on the freeway, and I was actually amazed at how how bad the roads were. Now, I'm not going to throw shade as to why that was, but the roads the roads were really bad, I think, Saturday morning. Now, Saturday night I went out, and it wasn't that it wasn't that bad but you had you had the, the winter parking you know restrictions that were in place apparently for 14 hours on over the weekend 14 hour in the city of Milwaukee 14 hours Saturday night and Sunday morning and again Sunday night to Monday morning now in the space of that 14 hours the city of Milwaukee wrote $168,000 worth of parking tickets who failed to follow the alternate side parking rules. $168,000 worth of tickets. Let me give you some perspective. For, there, there were more than, well, I mean, 14 hours. They averaged writing 300 tickets an hour. They wrote more than 4,000 tickets in the space of, uh, again, 14 hours for people who were violating the alternate side parking rules. Now, obviously, the reason they have those parking rules is you want to have at least one side of the street clear so you can get the snow plows through. The flip side of this, though, is I think that that storm and the intensity and the duration of it caught some people by surprise. But there were no breaks given. I mean, there, there, was, there was no quarter taken. And if you were parked where you shouldn't have been, no warnings, nothing like that, not a lot of time to move the car, boom, you're going to get a ticket. And now, assuming, for the sake of argument, that everybody pays their tickets, and we know that not everybody's going to, you know, the the city is going to be $168,000 richer because of this. The city, this is what they say, 
The DPW, and the DPW is the one that goes out and writes all the tickets. Parked vehicles should not impede the flow of traffic in the travel lane. This includes both the streetcar route and other city roadways. If a vehicle cannot be properly parked flush to the curb and out of the flow of traffic, whether due to snow or otherwise, then you should not park in that particular spot. The city's priority is to ensure safe conditions on the roadways for all users and reserves the right to ticket and or tow when an improperly parked vehicle disrupts the flow of traffic all right four thousand plus tickets over a 14-hour period 414-799-1620 that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line does this strike you as overkill maybe taking advantage of a situation or hey it's your own fault you know it's going to snow if you don't put your car in exactly the right place, you should expect to get ticketed. 414-799-1620, that's the um, Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the city take advantage of its residents in issuing all these parking tickets, or is this one of these deals where, hey, you, you know, if you're parked out on the street and, you know, it's your responsibility to know, expect a ticket if you're in the wrong spot. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I also bring this up as kind of a cautionary note because this storm that we're looking at now appears like it's going to be worse than the one that hit on Friday. So my message is if they wrote $168,000 worth of parking tickets based on what happened Friday, you better be aware because there's probably somebody at the Department of Public Vehicles thinking, hey, this is going to be our half a million dollar storm. 414-799-1620, we discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 122, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 124, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Can you believe it? Baseball season right around the corner. It all starts this weekend. Brewers on deck at the Wisconsin Center in downtown Milwaukee. WTMJ and ESPN Wisconsin will be broadcasting live this Sunday from the annual Fan Fest. Hear from your favorite players, coaches, and, of course, Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre. The event is sold out, so if you don't have tickets, let WTMJ be your home for Brewers on Deck, sponsored by Century Foods. All right, we we had a, a mild snowstorm Friday into Saturday. And, I mean, it made the road slippery, and it was a bit messy. There's there's no question about it. In the city of Milwaukee, they had their, like, parking emergency, um, and it applied on both uh, Saturday night, Friday night into Saturday, and Saturday night into Sunday. Uh, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. Saturday, it's Saturday night and Sunday morning, and again, Sunday night to Monday morning. During that 14 hours, parking checkers, the Department of Public Works, they wrote over 4,200 tickets, an average of 300 tickets an hour. Total revenue, $168,000 for cars who might have been parked illegally. Now, I understand that, that you got to get the streets cleared. I, I get all that. But does it sound to you like this was... Well, perhaps an opportunity to generate some revenue for Tom Barrett's Milwaukee. Brian in Brookfield. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks for my call. Yeah, we do a lot of plowing downtown. We do about 60 buildings on Prospect and Farwell. And I saw more guys out there ticketing and towing cars than I've seen in years. It's almost like they're waiting to that gotcha moment kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And the, primarily, they were really just focusing on the cars all around the hop. And if they were even an inch over where they're supposed to be. They're just ticketing and towing and using mm-hmm. the safety issue for the hop, and that takes priority over anything. Oh, really? And so some, at least based on what you saw, some of these cars, these weren't cars that were necessarily abandoned in the, way of snow, in no. the ways of snow plows and no. things like that, huh? 
No, no, like they're like they're taking advantage of people parking around the hop so they could use that as excuse. You know, if they have that many people to ticket, if they put a few more butts in snowplows, they wouldn't have any problems. Well, you know that. I mean, that, that you know that's it's actually it's funny that you should mention that because again, I was I was driving around. I was uh, at an event in an event in Milwaukee Saturday night. We we went to, to something in Saturday night in Milwaukee, and um, I, I was struck by the fact that there was a lot of stuff that wasn't plowed out. I I do wonder. Whether and again, I understand if you've got cars that are illegally parked or blocking traffic, you got to get them out of the way. But if you have enough personnel to write 300 parking tickets an hour from the Department of Public Vehicles, you do wonder if maybe you had some of those other people out there, like clearing the streets and clearing some of those intersections. Would that be a better way to deploy your resources? Now, look, I understand that they've got these rules, but let us be honest. This is Tom Barrett's Milwaukee, and this is a warning to those of you who happen to decide that you are going to own cars or for people from the suburbs who decide that they want to drive down to Milwaukee to take care of, take advantage of the restaurants or the cultural scene or whatever, understand that the DPW and the Common Council and Tom Barrett, they're, they're not going to cut you any slack. And if you're parked too far away from the curb or if you're parked on the wrong side of the street or whatever, there's not going to be any break. They're going to give you the ticket because it's about generating revenue as well as about cleaning up the streets, etc. So just just be warned, $168,000 in tickets last weekend. Imagine what's going to be if the snowstorm develops like they're predicting it. Just remember, maybe, just maybe, if you're going to go downtown, you don't want to worry about trying to park on the street. If you live downtown, make sure you pay attention to these alternative parking things, because in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee, we've got millions for streetcars, and maybe some of that comes from the people who park improperly, don't get any break, and then get nailed. $168,000, 300 tickets an hour. It's almost mind-boggling. It's 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 134, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I guess I did not realize this at, at first, but it, it's a number of Wisconsin congressmen, and I, I use that term, includes women as, as well, number of Wisconsin congressmen, and a number of congressmen in general, they don't maintain a residence in Washington. Paul Ryan, for example, Speaker of the House of Representatives, Paul Ryan had a house back here in his district where his wife lived and his family lived. So you might say, how do you do this when, all right, well, where do you stay if you're in Washington three nights a week or four nights a week or whatever? Well, Paul Ryan stayed in his office. Glenn Grothman, I think, stays in his office. I know back when Mark Green was a congressman, he stayed in his office. I, I don't know about Sean Duffy and um, and Mike Gallagher. I know Jim Sensenbrenner has a has a place, has a house in Washington, D.C. Cost of living in D.C. is extremely expensive. And this is, by the way, this is not an issue that, that cuts across. This is an issue that cuts across party lines. Republicans do what I'm going to talk about. Democrats do what I'm, I'm going to talk about. It's not unique to one particular party. But a lot of members of Congress... Rather than trying to to go through the expense 
of maintaining both residences, both in their district where they're legally required to and where they typically would live, and a place in Washington. What they do is they stay in their office during the week when Congress is in session. Now, for example, people in Congress are, are paid well. I, I want to say it's around 150 grand, and so that, that's a lot. But but at the same time, cost of living in Washington, D.C., or in the immediate area, is incredibly expensive. So you, you have these congressmen who decide, well, you know, we're, we, just, we just can't afford, and I understand that might sound ridiculous on, on that type of salary, but they say, you know, we, we can't afford to have a separate residence out there. Now, there are some congressmen, and I remember, I remember when Mark Newman was in Congress, what he did is it was kind of like a, it was kind of like a crash pad out of college. He and like two or three other representatives, they, they shared the rent on a place. I, I was at, uh, I was at Newman's place once years and years and years ago. So, so you say, okay, well, how can you live out of your office? Well, well, here's, here's the deal. Um, in some offices, they have like a Murphy bed, like a sofa that folds into a bed in, in their office. And they, we're talking about like multi-room suites where the congressmen have offices. In other cases, they have like an air mattress or a futon or whatever that they inflate at night. They lay out on the floor and then they close the door and they sleep in, in their office. Now, you might say, well, OK, well, what about all, all the other stuff? Where do you shower, etc.? Well, if you're if you're a member of Congress, you have access to like a gymnasium. Like, uh, you know, there, there's a gym with a workout facility that you pay for, by the way, and you've got showers and things like that. So the idea is for the couple days a week that you're in D.C., you sort of live kind of like a college student. You live out of your office. You sleep on your couch in the office. You sleep on an air mattress, etc., etc. Maybe you've got a micro. Maybe you got a little kitchen in your office, and so you heat up whatever you heat up, and and then you go out to dinner a lot. But you save money, right? That's been going on. It's a practice that's been going on forever. And like I say, Paul Ryan, he did it. I know a number of other people that did it. Well, now Democrats control Congress. And by the way, I just want to emphasize, this is not a partisan thing. Democrats do it. Republicans do it. Now that Democrats control Congress, apparently the Democrats are going after this, new Democratic leadership are considering making lawmakers either, number one, banning people from staying in their offices or alternatively making them pay, essentially charging them a fee if they're going to use their office to to stay. And the idea is, well, this is prime government real estate and, you know, you you shouldn't be sleeping in your office. And if you're going to stay overnight, you should essentially be paying rent or alternatively just banning the practice altogether. The Republican uh, the lawmakers that are responding to this say, hey, hey, wait a second. I mean, if you do something like this and say that people have to have multiple residences, what you're really saying is for people of moderate means, and again, I understand whatever the salary is, is a lot of money, but it's not necessarily when you're talking about keeping a separate place, you know, at home, you're raising your kids, you're sending them to schools, et cetera, et cetera, and now you have to take a third of that salary or whatever and pay for living costs. So a lot of people are saying, wait, you know, we're, we're being frugal. If you don't let us live 
in this fashion. Let's stay in our offices and go to the gym and all those types of things that we pay for. If you don't let us do that, what you're going to have is you're going to make it even more difficult for people of modest means to run for Congress. And is that what you really want? So, okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm, I, just, I find this to be intriguing. Is it a scam? That a, a congressman, Republican, Democrat, whatever, decides that, you know, I, I want to I just want to save the money. I'm going to stay in my office those nights that I am in D.C. and I'm going to sleep on my couch and I'm going to shower in the gym in the morning. Is that some sort of scam on the taxpayers or is that, I don't know, a f- type of frugality that maybe we should reward? 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And believe me, I, my guess is that staying in your office isn't necessarily, you know, um, a, a bowl of Skittles. That would be my, my guess. But they do it because it's too expensive or it's their way of trying to save money. 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Do you think it's a ripoff? Are we being ripped off? by Congress people who decide they're going to stay a couple nights a week in their office in order to save money. I don't know about you. This doesn't bother me at, at all. Uh, and to me, the idea of trying to end this is nothing but being vindictive. I mean, what do I care where the Congress person sleeps? And if they want to sleep on their office couch, I, I say, God bless them. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. As someone who works in a remote home office, um, I sleep at you know at the same location, and I can tell you that the, that by living at their office, they probably save a lot of time yeah. that they would use in bad commutes, and and that time I think could really be put forth to good use in doing the job and all the things they have to do. Well, you know, it, it's funny you should mention. I remember again when Mark Newman was a congressman. I I stayed at. I mean, he he had this place that he shared with a couple other Congress people. It's like three or two or three, I, I forget, and it was a ways out. I mean, it was kind of by the airport, and, you know, you'd have to hop the metro and you'd have to take it in. Yeah, if anything, if you're... You know, if you're staying at your at in your office, you're there all the time. And my guess is they probably get a lot more work done um, be, because they're there all the time than if they were taking those commutes or whatever. Yeah, I have friends who, who live like in Boston, and they they have commutes that are over an hour long. And that, that time could really just put put to a lot better use for the, for these representatives. Yeah, thanks for the call, Jeff. I guess I just listen to this. I'm thinking of all the waste and, and all the stuff that goes on in Congress. This this is what Democratic leadership is going to go after. And again, there's Republicans and Democrats who do this. I just I mean, this just strikes me as being mean and vindictive. I mean, if, if somebody wants to stay in their office a couple nights a week, what 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 do I care? What do the taxpayers care? Jerry and Appleton. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, sure. Jeff. Yeah, I, I saw this. I just heard about it right now on your show. I, I think it's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. I mean, they're not they're not saving the taxpayers any money by not by by right. you know not staying in the office. The office is there anyway. I mean, right. The I, office it, has to be cleaned regardless. So I mean, you're right. You're not. Exactly. They pay for access to the gym, so it's not like that's a free thing. So I mean, it's. I mean, you know, again, of all the different things out there. Plus, I do think, Jerry, it you know, for for a lot of people of modern means who might aspire to run to Cong- for Congress, the, the idea that you don't have to have a, a separate residence, you don't have to buy a townhouse, I think that that has an appeal to them. 
I'm just thinking right now, Jeff, the liberals, one of their favorite sayings over the uh, it was a, a uh, solution in search of a problem. Right. I think that would fit here. <laughs> well, right, exactly. I mean, I, again, I'm, and, and I'm, I guess I was struck because I, I was looking at this story. And I mean, like I say, I know a, a lot of people in Congress who, who've done this. And this is nothing unique. And, and they do it because they've got a house back here. And they're raising a family, and they're they're trying to save money whenever wherever they can. And I just, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I always say for all these people who aspire to run for Congress and things like that, I always want to say, you know, it, it might sound like really glamorous that you're, you know, you're a representative or whatever, but it's a lot of work, and you're it's a lot of travel. And when you're back home, you're constantly out there campaigning. And when you're in in Washington, again, unless you're a person of independent means you know you you could be sleeping you could be sleeping on on the couch in your office uh the congressional salary is 174 grand now that's again don't get me wrong that's a lot of money i i understand it but um if you've got to maintain a second residence in washington dc that's going to eat into a decent chunk chunk of that so I, to, to me, who cares? I mean, I don't care if Paul Ryan or if, if Glenn Grothman wants to pull out a futon and sleep on his office floor. You know, go with God. What do I care about that? Danny in West Dallas. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. What do you think? Um, I've got this over-romanticized idea that the senators and congressmen and so on are huddled over their lamps late at night trying to save America. And so I always figured, well... Okay, if they want to stay in their offices, fine. They can stay there, work until 2 or 3 in the morning, you know, a lot later than they probably normally would. Yeah. And then they can get there a heck of a lot earlier than they normally would. And, okay, they can actually do more good for the country yeah. then than what they're doing. Well, well right. And, and, right, thanks for coming. What difference does it make? I mean, what difference does it make to me? Again, they're, they're in their office. There's... I mean, here I have a text to your point, Danny. Jeff, whether they sleep in their office or not, their office would still be used. I have a home office. My mortgage doesn't go up because my residence is now dual purpose. I mean, yeah, it's not like there's any additional cost at all to the taxpayers. That office is there. They they have cable television, you know, in their offices, but they've got the tape. I mean, they've got cable TV. It's part of the overall office. Now, if you have a particular congressman who's, I don't know, wandering around, you know, brushing his his teeth and his underwear when you've got all these meetings that are going on fine but otherwise who cares to me this this just strikes me as being petty and vindictive and my guess is that some of the people that are organizing it are, are maybe people that have you know more of the means if you're independently wealthy okay that that's fine if I were a congressperson, would I rather have a nice townhouse in Georgetown or would I rather be sleeping on my couch? Well, I'd rather have that nice townhouse in Georgetown, but not everybody has that ability. Jason on the northwest side. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that this is even an issue. Whoever is going to offer this should be not reelected. <laughs> they should be worried about a whole lot of other problems that we got going on about a congressperson staying in their office, so, that so should be rewarded. Right, so it doesn't bother you that for years Paul Ryan stayed in his office whenever he was in Washington, D.C., and showered down at the House gym. That doesn't offend your sensibilities. Not one bit. It actually makes me feel sad that 
Paul Ryan didn't have the means to be able to go out and get a nice house. Who would not want to go to a nice house after they're done working <laughs> instead of staying in their office? Well, well, yeah, right. I mean, thanks for, and I, I think, I mean, and thanks for the call, Jason. And of course, in Ryan's case, I, I don't know if he had the means to do it or not, but it was just like this conscious choice. Okay, I've got a bunch of kids I'm raising. I, I've got my house in Janesville, and that's where my, my life is. And I, I just, I, regardless of the means, I, I don't choose to, I don't know. I don't choose to pay four thousand dollars a month to, to or three thousand or whatever it is to, to lease uh, an apartment that I'm only going to be at a couple nights a week when Congress is in session. I just don't choose to spend money that way. Again, look, I understand that there's there's all sorts of congressional. See, this is the thing. When I saw this story, there are all sorts of perks that public officials get that I think if the general public knew about them, you'd kind of raise your eyebrow and go, "Oh, really?" No, if 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 you want to you want to blow up an air mattress and and sleep on the floor of, of your office, you know, while you're there, that to me is not necessarily what I would consider to be a perk of the job, and it's certainly not a perk of the job that offends me. All right, when we come back, all right, what would you do if you worked for the government or if you wanted to work for the government, knowing what could happen? Stick around. One forty eight. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 150, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Hey, look, I, I am I am the last guy to be a weather alarmist, but you, you do want to keep it tuned to WTMJ that this storm system that's moving through looks like it's going to dump a whole bunch of snow, and depending on where you are, there might be some water mixed in with it, so it might be that slippery stuff. And if you're going out and you're shoveling the snow later on, be, be careful. I remember my physical... I told this story the other day. My doctor takes me aside and says, do you shovel snow? And I said, well, I live in a condo now. They come out and plow. He said, it's good because especially if you start to, once you start to get a little older, snow shoveling is about the worst thing you can do for your heart, especially if you're not warmed up. People just wade in there and start shoveling heavy, wet snow. So just be careful, right? Be careful. Don't want to lose anybody as a listener. A lot of people weighing in on the congressional thing. Uh, Jeff, I'm a Democrat. If people want to sleep in their office, let them them. Yeah, I mean, this. it's interesting that this is what the Democrats are deciding to go after, Republicans and Democrats who stay in their offices. I mean, my goodness, think of all the government waste. Here's a text. What's the difference between Elon Musk, who was praised, sleeping at his factory when work got tough for him, and a congressman sleeping in their office? Seems like a double standard. Another text jeff my father made roughly the salary of a congressperson between raising three kids paying for college and a morgan mortgage believe it or not money sometimes got tight let them sleep there who cares as long as it's not a burden yeah i mean what why would we say hey you have to take a third of your after-tax disposable income and spend it on on some apartment in the dc area that you're going to be at maybe a couple times a week however many weeks a year let them sleep there all right the the shutdown continues if you are a regular listener of this program, you know that my whole position is a pox on all their houses. This, it is absolutely ridiculous that we were at this point. At this point, and I think there's a lot of blame to go around. And I understand who you're going to blame depends on the, the prism that you want to view this from. But I mean, the bottom line is, all right, President Trump. You know, he had a he won. He believed he had a mandate. Part of that mandate was for a wall. So he wants some funding for a wall. Nancy Pelosi um, and many Democrats voted for for fencing and border secure border walls years ago. There's no reason not to give Trump a few billion dollars to do this. There's there just no reason not to do it. 
And again, do I think the wall is an answer? No, but fences do make some sense. And you're not going to have $5 billion or $2 billion or $3 billion or what you settle on. It's That's not going to be enough to build a wall all across the whole you know, U.S. border. It, it, but do I think it's part of border security? Yes. But Pelosi's not going to give it to Trump because she doesn't want him to have the vi- to have the victory. Meanwhile, you have federal workers that are expected to be able to work without pay, which I think is fundamentally wrong. They throw the word immoral around. I think it is immoral to expect people to work without being paid, even if you say you're going to be paid at some point in time. So far, there haven't been many disruptions. Uh, TSA workers who are working without being paid, they're calling in sick at higher rates, but the rate is still only 10%. And that's that's a good thing. Um, because the truth of the matter is, if you had, and this is from the perspective of somebody who's hopping on a jet for a couple of days in the middle of next week, you know, if you had, if you had lines at airports you know, to go through TSA, if, if TSA was operating on a quarter staff instead of what they're doing now, and you had people having to wait two and three hours for, you know, flights, I, I think there'd be enough pressure on everybody to, you know, take care of this. But, you know, right now, TSA workers, as well as other workers, they're showing up and they're working without pay. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. And I understand they're going to get paid at some point in time, but still, you know, tell that to the mortgage company. One of the interesting things that I think is out there is the whole question of whether or not this moving forward is going to hurt the federal government's ability to attract and retain people. We only have a couple minutes, but 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, somebody was saying, Jeff, one of the things that's not being considered is moving forward. You know, one of the things about working for the federal government is you you anticipate that you're going to have a degree of, of job security and stability. And it's not like a private sector job where you walk in one day and, hey, we just got rid of the, the company's going under or we just got rid of the whole, you know, X division. It's all gone. You're out on the streets. Thanks a lot for your work. That doesn't happen as a general rule with the federal government. You have this degree of stability. Well, now that st- degree of stability has kind of been taken back. And somebody was just saying to me the other day, hey, maybe you know, this is going to make recruitment harder. I hadn't thought about that, but you know, will it? Will this make? Will this discourage people from saying, "Hey, I, I, I want to work for the TSA," knowing that, all right, you know, maybe I could be expected to work without pay? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, my initial reaction was, well, probably not. This, this too will pass. But at the same time. One of the big advantages of government employment is that you've always, you know, been guaranteed this degree of stability. Now you don't have it. Peter in Brookfield. Peter, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. I I love your question. Um, and I believe, I'm really, really hoping that one of the effects of this shutdown is that there's a significant reduction in the number of federal employees and that fewer people are interested in working for the federal government because that workforce is so bloated and if you compare their salary with people who do like jobs they're also greatly they're on the very high end of the pay scale well so i'm hope, so you you think that this might might help kind of weed out the re- reduce the size of the government i hope that in some cases um that it absolutely does re- uh, result in people just leaving for other jobs i will i'll throw in there i travel a lot a very very frequent travel and i 
absolutely echo everybody's praise of the TSA, and I thank them, and I do right. when I walk through the airport. I thank them all the time. Well, right, and that's the thing to do. Now, thanks for the call, Peter. I mean, that that's the thing to do. And all the IRS workers who've now been called back to, like, process tax returns and all that, I, I mean, look, the bottom line is this thing's got to end. I mean, at least at the very least, I, I mean, it's one thing to have a government shutdown, but if, if you are being required to work, then it's not a government shutdown. And I do think the President and Congress need to get their acts together and make sure that the people who are being required to work are being paid in a timely fashion. It's 157. This is Jeff Wagner. 215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, they, they did. I mean, I appreciate the press conference, and I appreciate, okay, we got this great partner, et cetera, et cetera. But they didn't tell us what they were going to name the stadium. American Family is going to have naming rights. So, Drew, do you want to, who's producing the show today and always, do you want to bet is it going to be American Family Field or American Family Stadium? What would you guess? American Family Field is what you would guess. Huh. That, now, it could be. that. That's right. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think it would be AmFam because, again, people... People might not know what AmFam is. I mean, if if I'm going to be spending whatever they're spending, a few million dollars a year, you're going to want them to know. I always used to say that about the Super Bowl ads. If I were, I mean, if if Good Karma Brands decided that they were going to buy a spot on the Super Bowl to promote the Jeff Wagner show, I mean, and I had any input into it at all, it would be, I don't want one of these sort of like touchy-feely odd sort of things where you don't know what it's an ad for. I want, I, how many times can we get my name in that ad over the course of 30 seconds, you know, or 60 seconds or whatever? And I think that would be the same thing. If I'm spending millions of dollars to have the naming rights for the stadium, I, I want to make sure everybody knows that, that it's American family. Not, But that's, that's just me. We'll see how it all plays out. All right. I want to completely and totally switch gears. My... Um, my knowledge of British history, especially post World War II, I, I I I like to think of myself as a as a student of history and all, and I, I find you know the World War World War II to be fascinating, etc. How did it lead up to that? But I, I admit that after that, I'm a little bit unclear until like more recent times. So much of the stuff that I have just a, a general concept of. It comes from TV shows I've watched and things like that. Now, if you subscribe to Netflix, one of the the popular shows that they stream on Netflix is something called The Crown. The Crown focuses on the current Queen Elizabeth, and it starts out before she was the queen, and right now there's been two seasons, ten episodes each, and it kind of takes her through, I mean, the first two seasons take her through like the first ten years or so of her reign, and uh, it's 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 interesting. It's slow, but it's interesting. So I, I mean, I've watched it, and it also takes it through her her marriage to was now Prince Philip, and you 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 understand it, and it's kind of in a sort of soap opera y sort of way focuses on you know some of the pressures that that they had. You know, they're married, but you know he he's now got his. He really has no life anymore. He's just you know he's. He is the husband of the Queen of England, and, and he's struggling with that, et cetera, et cetera. And again, some of the stuff is kind of pulpy and things like that. And and the portrayal of, of Prince Philip is as a – he's a Navy guy, but he's a party guy, and yeah, perhaps in the beginning not necessarily the best of husbands, but a, but a strong personality. So I really don't know much about Prince Philip except for these two seasons of The Crown. All right, but but he's still around. He's 97 years old. 
He's 97 years old, and he used to drive race cars and things like that. Well, the other day, he was involved in what could have been a pretty serious automobile accident. He's drive. He's by himself. You know, he's he's, he's by himself. He's driving a, a Land Rover, and what what he does is now keep in mind in in Britain they drive on the wrong side of the road, and what he does is he's at like the stop sign, like a side like a side road, and he turns. He makes a right turn. And he turns right into, he makes this right turn immediately into a car that's coming the other way. And they try to swerve, and they actually have a pretty bad collision. His Land Rover flips over, and he has to be removed. they, they got to get him out through the sunroof. The other car kind of swerved as well. Thankfully, nobody was killed. Woman, uh, it was two people in the car and a, a, an infant child. The one person had like a broken wrist or a broken arm or something. But this this could have been a lot, lot worse. He he said that he was blinded by by the sun. His story was that he was dazzled by the sun. That's what he said. Well, the problem is. There was no sun out that day. You know, it's kind of like an overcast day, etc. He just just did something. Um, and then two days later, they now film. He's back behind the wheel of another car because he totaled his car. And he's driving around without a seatbelt. There's a law in Great Britain that you have to have a seatbelt. He's driving without a seatbelt. And they're like, okay, fine. But, but the larger issue that this raises, and whenever we talk about topics like this, we we start to go where angels fear to tread. And, and I understand that. He's 97 years old. And, and forget for the fact that he, he could have a driver. It's, it's not like there aren't just a million people around that could drive him. He's 97 years old and still driving. And in Great Britain, there is no upper age limit on, on driving. So he could, he could continue to drive. You know, if he's, if he's blessed to be able to live another 10 years, he could be driving at, at 107 years old. And, of course, this is something that hits home in the United States as well because we're getting older and we are living longer. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that the number of people, for example, who who live to be 100 has, has almost doubled between 1980 and 2010. And the average age of drivers is growing older as as well. There are some states... Wisconsin is not one of them, that impose additional requirements on drivers as they get older. Several states, for example, limit how long you can renew your driver's license for. You know, maybe typically you can renew a driver's license for four years, well, above a certain age. Typically, it's around 75. You can only renew the driver's license for two years. You can still get a driver's license. Other states have restrictions and they say, okay, well, above a certain age, you have to be road tested or above a certain age, you have to come in for vision and hearing tests, etc. Because, again, the reality is, as we get older, and it pains me to say this, but it's harder for me to, like, I'm, when I'm at the gym, like, working out, it takes a little bit longer for me to recover than maybe I did, you know, 20 years ago. That's just the reality. And my producer, grew who is smiling at me, this will happen to you at some point in time as well. It's just one of the effects of aging. Your eyesight deteriorates. I don't see quite as well. My eyesight's held up pretty good, but I don't see as well as I did when I was 20. People's hearing goes. That's why you see people, you know, with hearing aids and stuff like that. Your reflexes slow down. And yet in Wisconsin, 
you can effectively, you go in for your hearing test and your little vision test at, at the DMV. If you pass that, unless you are involved in a, an accident, a collision, that attracts the attention of the police, or your doctor dimes you out, you can essentially keep your driver's license for eight years. You get it for four years, and then you know you can automatically renew it without having to go into the DMV. So you can you can get your driver's license renewed at seventy five. Nobody's gonna you're not gonna have to go back physically till you're eighty three. You can. 83, you can go in there. You can get your driver's license renewed. Nobody's going to ask you anything, again, unless you have an accident or something like that, until you're 91. Now, this thing with Prince Philip, and the reason I bring this up, is a lot of people in Great Britain are now saying, have we gone mad? You know, he's 97 years old, and there's really no checks on this. Why is this guy still behind the wheel of a car? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I would never advocate that somebody should lose their driver's license simply because of, of their age. I, I, I wouldn't. At the same time, I think it is insanity that we do not have, just like we have checks on younger drivers, you know, you've got graduated licenses and things like that, I think it is insane that we do not have some limits to treat older drivers, and, and I'm going to be there sooner than I think, if, if I'm fortunate enough to keep living, to, to treat them a little bit differently. And if that means that, okay, you go in every two years to the DMV to get your license renewed just to make sure that, you know, you can hear and you can see, I, I think that that's absolutely fine. I think the current system is insane. Politicians, both Democrats and Republicans, don't have the guts to take this on because older people vote. And they know if they do anything that's going to be perceived as maybe taking somebody's license away from them, you're going to have older people. They're going to, you know, rise up and throw that that person out. But from the perspective of people who have dealt with aging family members, for example, who just didn't want to give up the driver's licenses, I, I think candidly the state of wisconsin works against us 414-799-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line okay prince philip is 97 years old he's still driving turning the wrong way almost hitting and killing somebody should we have at least some restrictions that kick in at some age and you can define what the age is that says you just don't automatically get to keep renewing your driver's license 414-799-1620 if you're on the line please hold on 225 jeff wagner wtmj and if you have dealt with this issue with with an older relative um wouldn't you like to get a little bit of help maybe from from the state we discuss in just a minute 225 jeff wagner 227 jeff wagner wtmj rob in germantown hi rob Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a father who's 84. Um, he's driven probably over a million, two million miles in his lifetime. Very good driver. But I can, I've noticed his skills starting to decline as he gets older. Right. Um, and, you know, you're going to have to find him tooth and nail to take away the driver's license. Right. But I'd rather have the government doing that than his children having to or our mother having to. And I don't think it's going to affect his vote if 
he's really going to vote for somebody, he's not going to change his vote just because of something like this. Well, that I mean, I mean, again, and I, I'm not saying that that again, anybody over a certain age shouldn't be able to drive. I I had a, a dear friend who passed away a couple of years ago who was in in his early 90s, and he was sharp as a tack. Now, but even then, he wouldn't drive at night because he just didn't see as well. So again, I'm not, but I I don't think that there's anything wrong with some additional testing just to make sure. That you know, people still have their their faculties because I, I, I think you know that's a reasonable thing, and I'm sure what you're going through, Rob. I mean, I my, my brother and I kind of went through a battle. My mom gave up her driver's license. I mean, she she just stopped driving after a certain point. But my dad was the same way, you know, and 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 thankfully we were able to talk him into ultimately, you know, not driving. He, he subsequently passed away, but it was one of those things. You know, you don't. I, I understand there is this degree of freedom. I'm a guy that got, I got my driver's license the day I turned six. There is this degree of freedom, and I get that you don't want to give up, but at the same time, the last thing you want to do is have one of your loved ones go out and, I don't hurt themselves or hurt somebody else because they're not seeing as well or their reflexes aren't good or they can't hear. Rick in Juneau. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Well, I have a grandpa that was 109 years old, and my mom took his driver's license away <laughs> at 97, Okay, and he, ne- and he never forgave her. And yeah. uh, I could see definitely maybe doing some additional testing, like maybe every other n- renewal, doing like a regular road test. Because mm-hmm. my grandpa was actually a pretty good driver, and he knew not to drive at night. Right. But he just definitely drove slower and slower, and that's where he got to be a problem. Right. He didn't have any accidents or anything like that, but... Um, yeah. When yeah. I'd ride with him, I heard a lot of horns beeping and seen a lot of one-fingered <laughs> salutes because he wasn't going over the speed limit and, yeah. you know, and always a little under. But yeah. I definitely think they're... They could set something up where they have a little more testing, or yeah, and that's all. Thanks for saying that. That's all. I mean, I guess that that's all that I'm saying. I, I'd be the last person to take somebody's, you know, driver's license away from them when they're able to drive. But at the same time, I mean, again, the, the, just the reality is, no, no, the, your your nightmare. If you know, if you're 45 years old, your your nightmare is that your your dad, who isn't seeing as well or can't hear as well or whatever, you know, goes out and is involved in an automobile accident and somebody ends up getting hurt whether it's you know your your dad or your mom or you know somebody else you just don't want to go through that all i'm saying is you know this is one where wisconsin is really lagging if you compare wisconsin's rules to a lot of other states we are very very far behind and when i talk to my friends in the legislature they all say jeff this would be political suicide you know because don't you understand that senior citizens vote in these huge numbers and if we do anything that makes it more difficult for them to keep a driver's license we're going to lose all these votes um, I hope that's not the case. Two thirty-seven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, it was. I understand because of the the holiday yesterday for Dr. King. It was a long weekend, a big sports weekend. I mean, from a Wisconsin perspective, University of Wisconsin's men's basket men's basketball team. It's kind of having a, a so-so year. Big win against Michigan. I mean, that's that that's certainly a signature type of win for them. My Marquette basketball team. This is clearly the 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 best year, their best season in the five years that the new coach uh, Steve Wojciechowski has been here. And you know, we were matter of fact, my wife and I, we were at the game on Sunday morning. 
Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. But, uh, you know, a solid game. They fell behind Providence, but they won. And now they're like 15 or 16 and three, whatever the record is, and first in the Big East. I mean, they're, they're a very, very solid team. No, no question about that. And they're going to presumably, unless the bottom falls out, qualify for the NCAA tournament. And I think they're a team that, you know, can, can do some damage in the NCAA tournament. They're just a kind of fun team to watch. So you've got, you know, those are the big sports stories, I think, and I'm sure there's some other stuff that's out there as well. The Bucks just continue winning what best record in the NBA. You know, that's that's a great story. But the story from the sports world that, that has everybody talking was the playoff game on Sunday between the Los Angeles Rams and the New Orleans Saints. Now, the, the game started off. If you are a regular listener, you know I am a huge Jimmy Buffett fan. I, I travel, go go a couple different places to see Jimmy Buffett every year. Jimmy Buffett, who's a lifetime New Orleans Saints fan, they had him sing the national anthem a cappella before the game. If if you haven't seen this, and again, this comes from the perspective of somebody who's a Jimmy Buffett fan, but somebody on Twitter kind of nailed it. Um, Jimmy Buffett singing the national anthem a cappella proves that Pretty much anybody who knows the words can sing the national anthem. That was kind of, that's, and then weirdly, he does this. He does a mic drop, you know, and you see it like a mic drop is. It means that you're you think you made a particularly profound point or done a particularly outstanding job, and you kind of slam the microphone down. Buffett sings the national anthem and does a mic drop. Nobody exactly knows what he meant, but but. It was good to see Jimmy Buffett there, and again, it, it does kind of prove that you don't have to have a great voice to, you know, sing the national anthem, I guess. But then you've got the game. Now, I want to, I want to admit, as I was watching the game, for most of the game, I was, I was cheering for the Los Angeles Rams, only because uh, they haven't been in the Super Bowl for like forever. And I, I just I thought it'd be kind of cool to have them there instead of the New Orleans Saints who'd been there more recently. I really don't have anything against the Saints either. But what happens is a little bit before right around the two minute warning or so, everybody has kind of seen this play. The the game is tied. The Saints are driving. They've got a, a third down and and whatever. And Drew Brees drops back to pass. They're they're you know at the I guess at the Los Angeles 20 or whatever it is, and he third down and however many yards they need, he throws a pass to a receiver that, that appears to be wide open. The Rams defensive back, acknowledging and understanding that he is beaten badly, not wanting to give up the touchdown, runs into the New Orleans Saints receiver, clearly before the ball gets there, and also the, the defensive back, he leads with his helmet. He smack. It's it's helmet to helmet contact. It's way before the ball gets there. It, it's not even close, and nobody thinks it's close. And everybody in the stadium, and everybody I think watching on TV, and the coaching staff, everybody screaming for a, a penalty for either helmet to helmet contact or pass interference or probably both, and. The, the referees, all of them, all of the officials, they swallow the whistle, and, and nobody nobody throws, makes a penalty. They don't call a penalty. What happens is New Orleans kicks a field goal. Rams get the ball back. They go back. They kick a field goal, tie the game. It goes into overtime, and Los Angeles ends up winning. Well, if, if you call a penalty, um, New Orleans gets the ball inside the 10-yard line. Los Angeles has one timeout left. Essentially, they run out the clock, they kick the field goal, and they win. So th- this really was 
I mean, and I understand stuff happened afterwards, but this was a game-changing sort of thing. There, I think the odds are probably 99.9% that you make that call and that the team wins. The New Orleans goes on to win. As a result, they, they ended up losing. The coach for New Orleans says afterwards that the NFL immediately called him and said, we, we blew the call, but that doesn't, that doesn't change anything. I mean, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't help them. And I, I do have to admit that after that call, <clears throat> when they didn't get it, I was sitting there thinking, my gosh, I just, I, I mean, I hope New Orleans goes on and wins now because to, to lose a call, uh, lose the chance to go to a Super Bowl. I mean, remember how Packers fans felt when you had the, you know, fail Mary play in Seattle years ago? You remember? And that was, that was like the third game of the season. And you had that incredibly bad call and everybody was irate over that. This call, stopped the Saints from going to the Super Bowl and I think has really brought on all sorts of questions about, you know, moving forward, what does the NFL do? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think, I guess, and I, I just want to tee this up, and I'm sure you probably saw this if you're a football fan. I mean, I guess I, or if you were just watching sports replays afterwards, because it's it's all everybody was showing Sunday night and, and pretty much most of the day yesterday. I guess I, I have two things. First of all, I appreciate people make mistakes, but the, the official, the officiating crew that missed this, I think this is one where you pretty much fire almost all of them, because it that nobody saw this play at a crucial time like that tells me that there's just you, you can't make mistakes like that and of course in these type of games you're supposed to be the best of the best that's number one number two the nfl has had all these problems this was kind of a resurgence year tv ratings are back up again interest was back up after the year of you know people not watching because they're upset over the kneeling thing but i, I mean i guess i look at this and I, I think that I understand you don't want to slow the game. But to me, this is just a, a crowning reason why you should be reviewing more stuff with instant replay. It, it's just I understand there's a human element. But to allow the New Orleans season to end on a bad call like that, a call that everybody knows was bad, I just I think it's unacceptable. And does that mean maybe you got to bring instant replay back on uh, for all these plays at least in the playoffs? My answer would be yes. I mean 4147991620 that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. I would start by telling you that if if I was Roger Goodell, the people that were officiating that game, starting from the head official to all the rest of them, because you know other people could have seen that and made the call. None of them would ever be working another game. I mean that's that was just such an egregious play. You say, how can you get it wrong? But the fact that there was nobody to rein them in and say, look, before this goes any further, let's stop. Let, let's stop because there's a bad mistake that's been made, and this is the championship game to determine who goes to the Super Bowl. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Rob in Green Bay. Rob, good afternoon. Yeah, good topic, Jeff. And there's two things here that I would do. Number one, they, they always say we got the best officials in the league, so they bring the, all the best guys in. But they don't. There's no continuity yeah. when they do that. You know. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Right. You're saying it's like they might be the best, but they're they're used to working. They're not used to working together or something like that. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, at it, the at the same time, Rob, I I swear that one call, and I, I mean, 
I don't understand any one of the officials should have seen that. I mean, there, you know, I mean, or at least half of them had to have been looking at that play. How could nobody have seen that obvious, you know, the obvious pass interference and the leading with the helmet thing? I, I totally agree. It was, it was so blatant. My wife, who doesn't even know football, got that call correct. Um, you know, yeah. Here's, here's the last thing I got, Jeff. You know, if they were, if Roger Goodell was smart, he would hire Dean Blandino and Mike Carrera, and he would put them in New York. And then, you know, they could actually figure out some way with the technology where they could actually call and say, "Hey, you guys got this call wrong. You need to stop it." Right? Yeah, stop the game. Right now, thanks. And maybe, maybe not in regular season games. I mean, I, I don't know. I have to figure it out. But I, I mean, you can't have. These teams play all years. There, there are, what, hundreds of millions of dollars involved in going into a Super Bowl, and, and you just can't have one decided not by a marginal call, but by a call that everybody understands is wrong. And, I mean, I actually give the Rams defensive back some credit. You know, afterwards, they're asking about it, and he says, well, yeah, no. He said, he said yeah, I hit him early. I was, I was beat. I get it. I didn't want him to get a touchdown, so I was just going to stop that. Yes, I hit him early. I, Of course, that's, that is what I intended to do, and, and I did it. I mean, this is isn't even one of these sort of questionable judgment calls. This was just, it was bad. And there just has to be a way to review something like this. 414-799-1620. Eddie in Franklin. Eddie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I think they already have everything in place. You've got a guy in the booth. You've got the people in New York. I mean, you know, when they see something in the last couple minutes, they have these automatic reviews. It's like, it's already in place. If you see something that you know is a blown call by your refereeing staff, you got to say, hey, you know what? We're going to throw a flag. You guys missed the call. Right. And, you know, radio down to the field and say, hey, you know what? We're going to review this play because, you know, we don't think you got it right. Right. They got to take they got to take responsibility for that because they are refereeing these games. These guys are putting their lives on the line literally out there with helmet to helmet hits. Right. And all these other things. You got to get the, the call right. Well, you, you know, know what's, I mean, what's so bizarre. Remember, I mean, okay, like Aaron Rodgers, for example, he's really good at, at getting the snap when the other team has twelve players on the field. That sometimes sure. they'll review that. They'll go back and they'll look and determine, okay, were there twelve guys on the field when the ball was snapped? If you can review that, why in God's green earth can't you review, you know, a, a, a significant play like that at the end where everybody knows they missed it? If the game moves so fast and at real time, you're going to miss some things. Right. I don't know how they missed that because everybody was focused <laughs> on that play. You had, a, you had a guy right there in the end zone looking right at him. Yep. I, so I don't know how they missed it. Yep. But, I mean, at that point, like you said, it's, it's, the, it's a, a playoff game. It's such an important game. I think that's when the people up in the booth and the people in New York, because they're not watching any other games, right. they could have literally said, you know what? There was a mistake here. We got to right. review this call. They, they've got to do something better about that. I, I agree. I mean, thanks for call because it, it does sort of make the game a mockery. And I mean, and I, I, look, I understand it's the New Orleans Saints. It's not the Green Bay Packers. But can you imagine how those of us, as a part of Packers Nation, would have felt? Yeah, I mean, but again, I re- remember how we felt after the Phil Mary pass a number of years ago in Seattle. Imagine how we would have felt if, you know, that was a Packers player. Packers in the same situation, you know, and it's Aaron Rodgers throwing to one of the, to Randall Cobb, and that hit happens. Can you imagine what it would be like around here? Huh, not pleasant. Let's take a break. 249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I mean, it, it's, it's the number one, uh, maybe, uh, the, national, the NFL 
is probably the number one sports league in the world. I next I don't know where the English Premier Football League comes in, but one of the two. But I mean, okay, you're you're talking about this billion dollar enterprise and to have the championship decided on stuff like that, they just have to do better. Two forty nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, so glad to have you with us. Again, it, it appears, and I, I'm not one of these guys who's you go, goes off the deep end when it comes to, to weather, because as I said, I think we do snow pretty well around here. But um, it does appear for the next, you know, 12 to 24 hours, we're in the line of a relatively significant snowfall. Now, it's going to be coming down over a period of time, which is good to the extent that it gives the folks who are in the plows, you know, a chance to, again, try to keep ahead of things and stuff like that. But the bottom line is, if if you're going to be out and about, you, you really want to be careful. I do... It is interesting. Tony Evers tonight, the new governor of the state of Wisconsin, he's giving his state of the state speech this evening. And it is kind of interesting. And, and I don't know I don't know what you make of it, but he's giving the state by the state of the state speech, you know, the same night that you've got a major snowstorm bearing down on the state capitol. I don't know if that's a harbinger of things to come or whatever, but, you know, he's going to be talking about bipartisanship, and he needs to talk about that because he needs Republican votes to get stuff done, and um, hopefully on some things, I understand, when it, you look at the state legislature, look, there there's some areas that you just, nothing's going to be able to be accomplished because you've, you've got the parties that approach things from, you know, just diametrically different views, but I you know, hopefully there will be some common ground on, on certain things, and we don't have the state, without giving up principles, you know, we don't have the state of Wisconsin become the dysfunctional federal government. And I maybe we'll talk more tomorrow. We didn't spend much time on, on the shutdown, in part because it just makes me crazy. It just makes me crazy that this should not be happening, and, you know, Nancy Pelosi should move a little President Trump offered to move a little. The shutdown should be over. At the very least, the federal workers who are working without pay should be paid, period. It's 2.55. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.